Welcome back to the Photo Banter Podcast. Before we get into the Maddie McGarvey interview, I actually wanted to tell you about a new image transfer tool I've been using lately called PicDrop. PicDrop's a really great tool for whenever you need to send off those files to your clients or whoever you're working with. You can create private galleries, different folders for whatever various assignments you're working on. Your clients can actually write notes on the photos you send to them and rate them. Um, for me, I've been using it for a few months now. And it's really just kind of helped me keep myself organized. I got all my files in one spot, and it's just really easy to communicate with my clients. For years, I was using like Dropbox and WeTransfer and things like that. But with PicDrop, it was actually designed by photographers, so they really understand what photographers need. And like I said, I can't say enough about it. I've really been enjoying my experience using it. And with today's episode, if you enter the promo code PHOTOBANTER, you're going to get three months free when you sign up at PicDrop.com. Um, so definitely go check it out and let me know what you guys think. And remember to enter the promo code PHOTOBANTER when you sign up at PickDrop.com and you'll get three months free. And without further ado, we'll get into the Maddie McGarvey interview. Thanks so much. Welcome to the Photo Banter Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Gagne, and on today's episode, I speak with photographer Maddie McGarvey. Maddie is a photographer currently based in Columbus, Ohio. She has worked with clients such as the New York Times, National Geographic, the Players Tribune, and the Washington Post to name a few. In this interview, I speak to Maddie about how she got into photography, as well as some of her experiences photographing on various political campaigns for people such as Joe Biden, uh, Bernie Sanders, and Donald Trump to name a few. Uh, Maddie has some really interesting work on her site, uh, just different photojournalism stories and projects she's been working on, as well as some amazing portrait work. I uh, can't say enough about it. Um, really enjoyed speaking with her about everything that she's got going on. Um, so I hope you enjoy it, and thanks so much for listening. All right, well, Maddie McGarvey, uh, welcome to the podcast. Uh, thanks so much for taking the time to do this. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you so much for having me on. Yeah, definitely. I guess to start off, I was kind of curious, like, where you grew up and kind of how you got into photography initially. Um, yeah, so I kind of moved around a lot growing up. Um, I lived in Charlotte, North Carolina. I lived in Scranton, Pennsylvania. Um, I moved to Ohio in sixth grade. Um, and I don't know, I never, I don't really have one of those great, like, my grandfather handed me a camera <laughs> at age five and I just... <laughs> never looked back like I really just was like kind of a lost high school kid and was like I like art but I really suck at painting and drawing I like you know people I have this curiosity but I don't really know like what to do with it so I don't know I just sort of started taking pictures in high school like took a basic like film class was not very good at it (laughs) like Mm -hmm. really bad but eventually just kind of like you know morphed itself into taking more photos. I went on a college tour and literally didn't even know photojournalism was a thing Mm. until I, you know, sat down. Um, I had like an internship at a newspaper in high school and that like kind of was, you know, put down my like roots there where I was like, wow, you can like take pictures of people you don't know. And (laughs) it's like a profession, like this is crazy. And then I, you know, I had a college tour at high university, like also very lost and um, sat down with the visual communications program and they you know, had this program for photojournalism and 
um, I applied to it and sort of the rest is history, I guess. I mean, I just did it in college and then, you know, afterwards mm. I worked at a newspaper for a year in Vermont and then I came back to Ohio to freelance. So that's cool. Um, so you, you interned at a newspaper. It's kind of local, like in your local city or town, kind of when you're in high school. It's... Yeah. Yeah. I just, um, it was like a mentorship program. I still, uh, Tim Johnson, he was like, um, my first mentor of this, you know, small local paper. And it, it really was like, I don't know, just like opened my eyes up. I, I guess I, I, I never just put that together. Like that was a thing. Like I know I saw pictures and papers and like, you know, know that someone had to take them, but I guess I didn't really know that, you know, what went into making a newspaper or a magazine or the, the pictures you see in daily life. So that was sort of, you know, monumental just to like get those, yeah. get that, those roots in high school. And then, um, yeah, and then studying photojournalism in college. Um, what do you, what do you was, think? What do you think kind of drew you to photojournalism? What kind of piqued your interest to to the point where you wanted to go to school for it? You think? Um, I don't know. I just think it's just such a fascinating career where, like, you literally are trying to get at the root of a person or a subject matter, um, all through photography like through a camera and you know you you you're strangers when you meet and you come out with like a product that's like you know going to tell their story for the masses it's like kind of this crazy thing and I I just I don't know I now that I've done it as a career like I, I felt very lost in high school and didn't really know what I wanted to do but like now that I've like found it, it just I cannot imagine doing anything else it's just like the most special weird thing ever <laughs> i think yeah definitely like just looking at your instagram like you've gotten to do some really interesting things and cover a wide variety of stories um but i guess when you're in college did you kind of what kind of stuff were you shooting then um do you feel like going to school for photography was like a useful experience for you yeah i mean so you know i went to high university and they have a really great journalism program um you know really good photojournalism program and it really did help me, like, as someone who'd never really shot before, um, you know, it gave me the tools I needed and the people, like, you know, the people I went to school with, I still am hitting up all the time, like, oh, like, what am I doing? You know, <laughs> and it just creates a great network. And, you know, in college, I started working on projects that I'm, I'm still working on to this day, um, in particular, one about um, a, a little girl who was being raised by her grandparents because um, she was abused as a child. And, you know, I started that project when I was 19 and she was eight years old and now she's a senior in high school. Um, And I'm obviously older (laughs) and it's like sort of like this way of kind of growing up together. Like, you know, we were both sort of kids and and it was, I mean, you know, I don't have kids of my my own or anything, but like watching someone grow like that, especially through a lens was like kind of one of the most beautiful things I've ever done as a photographer I think just like it's you know they feel like a second family like an extension of my own family and um you know I've photographed like family weddings for them and like you know homecomings and everything and it's you know it's just been really interesting to see her evolving and like growing as a as a young woman so um yeah so I started that in college and I feel like I you know it kind of gave me the foundation of of you know how do I even like begin a story because it's you know, if you think about it, like the weirdest thing in the world, like to cold call someone, like I had, I went to a social worker and I was like, I'm looking for families where grandparents are raising their grand, their grandchildren. Wow. And they like literally had, uh, gave me a slip of paper and it had their name on it. 
they're like, hey, Lori and Lee Castell were raising our three grandchildren. And I just like called them up as a 19 year old, like, oh, like so scared. Can I like come photograph? I'm interested in this topic. And, you know, of course, like if someone cold called me asking me that, I'd probably be like, no. Yeah, like, <laughs> but, who, like who are you? <laughs> right. But they were so welcoming. And nine times out of 10, people really are. I mean, like, they want their story heard. They want someone to like, you know, kind of show what they're going through. They're, you know, everyone has a unique scenario. So um, I'm always pleasantly surprised, like how open people are to, to having their, their photos taken yeah, that's in like, a very intimate way. Yeah, that's one thing I was going to ask you is like, because looking at your photos, a lot of times it's really intimate situations where you're in people's houses and um, there's really intimate um, moments was that always something you felt comfortable with, like approaching strangers? Did it take you a while to kind of get used to that? Because like, like you said, photojournalism, you're constantly just photographing strangers on a daily basis. Kind of Is that something you're always comfortable with or you just got better over time kind of communicating with people, you think? Yeah, I think it's something that you, I don't know, you, you know, you should have like a natural curiosity and like empathy for sure. But like, it's something that definitely gets easier over time because mm-hmm you know, it can be kind of nerve wracking for everyone. Like, you know, showing up at some random person's house and like, you know, getting an intimate photograph that's going to like portray their story in a, in a fair and balanced way. I mean, like that's intimidating, but it really gets easier over time. And I mean, I really try to make an effort to spend as much time as possible with someone going into the story. Like I'll tell them even for a portrait shoot, like you need to carve out like, an hour or two because you know it's a, it's like sort of a, a small relationship you're building i mean you can't just like come in hot and you know just like start like motor driving or whatever it's like i really try to sit down with them and talk to them and you know especially i'm like photographing them oftentimes at their like lowest points and i really want to understand how they're feeling mm-hmm. and you know what they're going through and um so that might mean just like putting down the camera and talking for 20, 30 minutes before I even take a single picture. Um, And, and I'll talk to them about, you know, I'll open up about my life. I don't think it's this like one way street of, of just being like, tell me everything terrible and, and okay, bye. You know, I just, I think it's a relationship, a small relationship you have to form and it, it does disarm them a little bit. And you can actually like capture that, that like energy in them or that spark or whatever's going to tell their story the best. Cause I, I just think you owe it to them, you know, mm-hmm. like they're opening it up to you and it's, that's a lot to ask from someone, especially in sensitive situations. Yeah. So I just, I just think it's like you owe it to them to really spend the time to under, try to understand their story and, and communicate it the best way possible. Because I really truly think that viewers who are going to open up a magazine or newspaper are going to connect better with, the people in the photographs, if the photographer is connecting with them, you yeah. know, and they, they feel comfortable. Yeah. Yeah. I think it comes through in your photos too. It's, you can tell you actually care about the people you're photographing. Whereas like, you, I think if you look at someone, you you could tell if they just went in, like, I got to shoot this photo real quick, get in and get out. I think that's why, I mean, I've been drawn to your photos. Like you did one uh, really amazing story, I think called Austin and Max, which like uh, maybe you want to describe that? It kind of detailed, I believe, two brothers that kind of had the same disease. Uh, how- yeah, yeah, that was one I did. I, I worked at the um, Burlington Free Press in Vermont for one year out of college, um, and 
yeah, it was this story about these, yeah, these two brothers who had the same um, disease. It was like a form of um, muscular dystrophy, um, Duchenne's muscular dystrophy. And the one was getting like this sort of experimental treatment mm-hmm. that was helping quite a bit, but like wasn't passed by the FDA. And the other one who was older wasn't qualified and was just, I mean, like the life expense expectancy of someone with Duchenne was like 20, 21 years old and he was like 14. And, and so the mom was like just desperately trying to get both of her kids on this medication because she was noticing like the one was flourishing and the other one was just suffering. So, you know, that was another case where it's just, you, you just had to spend some time with them and be like, you know, like, build up the intimacy. Um, it doesn't happen immediately. I, I am pretty upfront. Like sometimes th- I had more time with that one because I, I was working a newspaper job and they, yeah. they gave me a, a fair amount of time to work on it. So I felt, um, it, you know, that was something I could really build it up, but you know, sometimes I only have a day to get a whole, whole story done or two days. So it's kind of interesting, you know, how you have to pace yourself to try to get like moments like that. Cause yeah. sometimes you have to get those intimacy moments like way faster. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's just, I, I don't know. I think anytime you're working on a story, you just really have to kind of give it your all and just, I mean, it can be a little bit emotionally draining because you're, you're kind of, if you do this, you know, four or five different stories a week and you're just like, mm-hmm. Oh my God, my heart, like it hurts. <laughs> but you know, it's just, it's so important and it's so important to just show like, you know, ex- exactly what these people are going through and, and don't just like half half it. You know, I just, I'm, a proponent of just like giving it your all because it's going to be worth it in the end. So people can understand these. these Yeah. I would imagine you kind of have to have like patience when you're, when you're documenting these type of stories, because it's not like, like a, like a commercial photographer. A lot of times they're they're like creating a scenario, but with you, you're, you're basically like this, like a person, this kind of like a witness to it. So it's like, you feel like you kind of have to have patience sometimes because you, you might have an idea in your mind, but you kind of just have to let the day unfold and kind of whatever moments kind of come to you during the day, pretty much. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, with photojournalism, I'm like, you can't set anything up, you know, it's, it's all about witnessing. Mm-hmm. So you just really have to, to commit the time to be like, okay, well, you know, I know they're going to be at like a birthday party today. So I'm going to ask if I can come to that. And then like later on, I'm going to ask if I can come um, photograph bedtime, yeah. getting ready, like waking up in the morning. And, you know, it's a lot of pre-planning and, and, and trying to get people to not get sick of you, <laughs> like your camera in their face. But, you know, I think if you explain like what you're trying to do and your intentions, they, you know, nine times out of 10 people will understand and will give you the time that you need to, to get it done. It's like gaining their, um, tru- gaining their trust pretty much. They, once they can tell you're, you're a good person, have good intentions pretty much, you think. Totally. Yeah. I mean, it's all about gaining trust, um, you know, and, and just disarming. Cause I think that like a lot of times, and, and this is the same with me, if, if someone was calling me and I'm like, Hey, I'm about to take your, your picture for the New York times. That's like a very intimidating thing to hear. Right. You know, like it's getting photo shoots in general. I don't like being in front of the camera period either. So like, and if, if I knew millions of people would potentially see the photo, I'd be like, Oh my God. And, you know, you really have to be disarming and be like, you know, this is okay. Like we're going to, you know, get it done. I'm not going to stop until we get a photo. We really like, you know, like yeah. I'm not going to just take two and be like, all right, see ya. <laughs> um, which is funny. Cause like a lot of times I will take like 
maybe 10 photos, like the first 10 photos and people are like, Whoa, you're really taking a lot there. And I'm like, Oh no, we're just getting started. I mean, <laughs> so buckle yeah. up, but it's, it's worth it in the end, you know, just to, to be able to show who they are and, you know, a brief glimpse into their life and yep. a genuine way you can. So, yeah, but I guess to kind of go back a little bit, like once you kind of got out of college, like, did you kind of have a goal in mind for what you wanted to do? Like looking at your work, you've worked for a lot of different clients from like National Geographic to New York Times and Players Tribune. Um, did you kind of have a goal in mind once you got out of school? I think you said well, you ended up going to work for the newspaper once you got out. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, to be honest, when I graduated from college, I was very lost. I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I was actually planning on moving to New York, um, very original, I know. And then I got this um, this job offer just out of the blue in Vermont. And I was like, yeah, I mean, why not? Like, I get paid to take pictures every day. Like, I'd be in a new place. Mm-hmm. Um, and I did it for a year. And, you know, the newspaper industry, as it still is struggles so I got laid off after one year yeah but it was sort of a blessing in disguise because I don't know I just I felt a pull to come back to Ohio like to the Midwest um you know I had family there and it just I was missing it a little bit um so I was like sure I'll get my my try at freelancing and I mean for being completely honest the first two years of freelancing I was just like borderline unemployed oh (laughs) yeah I think that's that's how everyone starts you're just trying to get your name out there (laughs) Right, right. I was like, yeah, I was like trying to convince people like, yeah, I have a job. I swear I'm not sleeping until noon every day. Of course not. You know, like it was a decent period because it's just like you see other people who do it and you're like, it looks so effortless. And it seems like they're just getting like every assignment in the world. And, you know, it just comes easy and it's just creating beautiful work. And like, yeah, sometimes that does happen. But after many years of like establishing yourself and figuring out how this goes. So like, it was a a little bit of a rough transition. I'm not going to lie to you. Um, Yeah, because how were you you getting your work out there initially once you kind of made the step into freelancing? How are you kind of getting your work out there and getting your first clients when you first started? I mean, luckily I had, you know, some connections and, and, um, people at newspapers in New York who had like been friends with or, you know, working with once or twice. So like once you sort of get your foot in the door at different places, it really, I mean, I tell people this all the time that are trying to get to freelance, like just, you have, you have to be patient because it sort of is like a, an avalanche, you know, like it, it will, it will pick up, but it's, it's, probably going to be slow in the beginning if you're just establishing yourself in a new place and like there's other people who've been doing it longer than you and like all that so I just think like keeping in touch with editors I would go to New York a few times and like try to meet with some people in person and then like word of mouth spreads if you just like are easy to work with and like consistently deliver a good product I mean that helps and also you know living somewhere like Ohio in the Midwest is like really helpful because it's not as saturated as other places and um, there's still a lot of news. And so, you know, I just like, I just sort of like put my roots down and then it, it really did all kind of start. I would, you know, just keep Slow posting. Instagram is like such a good, like amazing free marketing tool. Right. I mean, it's like such a cool thing because you can like share your work and like learn so much about like all this, like topics all over the world. Cause I'm like always pretty much following photos. So I'm yeah. like always learning something, but like seeing other people's work and, so, you know, I got better about, like, posting um, projects I was working on there. And, yeah, like, yeah, you, I, mean, you, I like how on, on on your Instagram you'll kind of 
seems like you you enjoy writing because you'll kind of write a little bit under each some of the photos kind of tell a little bit behind the photos and things like that uh, which is kind of interesting yeah yeah Yeah, I mean I really like to use my platform to just like I mean because I I I have you know a little bit of a following Mm -hmm. and if I can like use that to just kind of educate people on something they might not know about like that's like I'm not I have no disillusions that I'm like going to change the world with my photography but like if I can like kind of inform just a few more people about like what's going on like especially like all the sort of injustices like of certain people then I I feel good at the end of the day you know I I just I like you know people comment to like oh my god I have no idea that was happening and I I didn't either until I took the assignment so like Mm -hmm. I just think it's a cool platform to to share those kinds of things I mean like how else would you know if you weren't picking up a, that magazine or newspaper that day or, you know, yeah. um, it's just like another platform to share, share stories. Yeah. Um, and that's why I really like to use it to either like um, quote the, the writer in the caption, just, you know, so people get an idea or talk about the process of, you know, of taking the pictures and like what it was like, just to, just to give people, you know, just an idea of what's going on in the world because, it's hard to keep up. I get it. But mm-hmm. if I can like help a little tiny, tiny bit, then like I feel good. Yeah, <laughs> no, that. definitely. I think it's really interesting. You kind of get your perspective on things. Um, and Instagram, it's kind of, it's Instagram's like a, I talk about with a lot of photographers lately. It's, uh, it's just like another tool. And it's just kind of interesting, interesting to see how di- different people utilize it. Cause there's like a million ways to use it. Um, but I think it's really interesting. Um, but like you were saying, um, you live in Ohio. Did you ever feel any pressure to like move to New York city or like Washington DC? Like I know a lot of photojournalists lives down there. Um, did you ever feel that pressure or anything like that? Um, yeah, I mean, in some ways, yes. I'm, you know, I, I, I think that like when you live in those places, you're like, you're able to, to be around the, the core of the community, the photojournalism community more. And, you know, you're, mm-hmm. you're, you're socializing and networking more in those cities and maybe getting your name out a little bit more, having like different opportunities. But I just think it's so crucial, so, so crucial to have people who are investing and care about their community. And, uh, you know, a lot of times, like my friends in New York are like just constantly flying out, like not yeah. doing that much work <laughs> in New York City. No. So, you know, I'm just like, I love the Midwest and I care about it so much. I think there's so many important stories here. So I, I mean, I don't know if I'll live here forever. I'm not saying that, but I've been here now since, I mean, I grew up in the Midwest since sixth grade. I left for a year and I've been back since 2013. So, I mean, it's been like my, my life for so long. And I, I, I know like Ohio, like the back of my hand, like I could tell you every um, rest stop I go to that's like I can rank them like <laughs> best worst you know I I know like I could you know go anywhere in the Midwest and, and probably know someone that I photographed in like almost every town and um you know I just think it's so important to invest in your community and like really understand it and mm-hmm. I, I mean the worst thing I think is like and and I, I think a lot of people are really good about this, but there's a few people who are really bad and come to places like the Midwest and just completely generalize it and yeah. say, oh, that's that's Trump country. That's just the struggling Rust Belt. Like, I can't tell you how many people come to Columbus where I live and they're like, whoa, this is like actually like a city. I'm like, <laughs> yes, <laughs> this is a city. There's like a million people here. It's not just like flyover land. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. 
No. I just, I mean, especially in this day and age, I think it's easy to generalize the Midwest and Rust Belt as like a certain kind of thing, whether that's like, mm-hmm. it's like people who vote for Trump or whatnot. And it, it's just way more than that. I mean, it's so diverse and yeah. special. So I just feel like a duty almost. To no, just, I love like, it. I, I really, res- it. I really respect it. Cause like, I, I, I don't live in, in one of these big cities either. I live in Massachusetts. I don't live in New York. I've never lived there or anything like that. And because like I, I always get frustrated with photographers who think like the universe revolves around New York or LA or like one of these big yeah. cities, but there's so many interesting stories everywhere, anywhere in the country, around the world, and it's like I always respect it because like I think your photos are really interesting is because, like you said, you're invested in the community, and that's why it I think it comes through in the work. It's it's uh, there's stories everywhere. You don't have to be in New York City or one of these big cities, you know. Totally, totally. And I, I try to encourage like younger photographers or people who are just like trying to break into freelancing and stuff. I'm just like, do not go to New York. Do not go to LA. Like that is not where you're going to like, I mean, yeah, you can make it there for sure. I'm not trying to say don't do it, but like if you really want to work on some stories and and get probably more work because you're localized, like find somewhere like that has a lot of news and a lot of photographers like Arizona, Florida, like, whatever the Midwest. I mean, it's just, I just think there's so much more possibility to, to be able to work on these like projects you want. And like with a lower cost of living, you're not Mm -hmm. like worried about paying your rent all the time. I mean, don't get me wrong. Like there are some parts of me that wish I lived in LA or New York for a little bit, like Mm -hmm. experience, but, but I do, I do really feel like it's so crucial to have photographers that are like localized and working on the communities that they really understand. And then they know these people like, Yep. it's just i don't know it's just really it's, it, it sets it, yourself apart i think you know it you your yeah your work looks different it's just a different story right right and i hate using the term like parachute journalism but yeah. you know there are and i think and i really do think that like most of my friends who travel for work do a, a wonderful job of like representing you know the places in a, in a respectful way but you do see some people come in and especially like with the you know like the opioid crisis or whatever and it's just like, oh, man, like, you know, that sucks to see. Like, they're just, I, you know, I, I don't want to. Yeah, I know. I know you're saying. They're, it, they're, they're, they're like, they're not invested in the project. They're like, let me, let me bounce in and get my, like, the photo that everyone takes and not, like, expand upon it. Right. And ha- tell a deeper story. Right. Yeah. I know what you're saying. Totally. Uh, yeah. So, and I, and I really truly think that like most people are very, very good about like being respectful and, and doing their best in the small time they're given. You know, I think that's, I think that's great, but I just, I don't know. It's never, I just never like it when people just um, make sweeping generalizations about, yeah, yeah. you know, like a multiple state region, you know, it's just, it's like a personal pet peeve. No, but, I like it. I like, but, the, you know, I like the Ohio pride, Maddie. I, I respect it. Uh, <laughs> Um, Thank you. <laughs> and you know, looking at your work, it's you've already begun uh, kind of covering. I think you did some uh, stuff with Biden. He's on the campaign trail. Bernie. Um, you uh, you covered mm-hmm. some like Trump rallies. Like, have you was po- covering politics always something you had an interest in? What's kind of your experience been covering uh, the politics stuff? I guess. Yeah, I mean, you know, obviously another perk or disadvantage however you view it (laughs) in Ohio is um, you know there's politicians here constantly Um, and it's not something I ever was just like you know I never I'm not like 
Tom or, or, you know, like um, Doug Mills or whatever. That's mm-hmm. not like my entire life. And I totally respect it. Like I am obsessed with looking at people who shoot politics in yeah. a different quirky way. Like, I think it's like one of the hardest things to do because politics, shooting politics is all about like, working with the very very limited yeah, it's always you have. it's and, always like in some boring conference room or like some big hall it's visually usually yeah not the most interesting location but it, yeah like you said like doug mills or like tom like i'm always amazed at like how they can create these photos in like the ugliest settings pretty much oh for sure i mean like and if you've ever been in a press scrum at like a political event you know how it is it is i mean depending on the candidate you know, some are a lot more lenient with access, but like sometimes it's just like you have about like two square feet to work with. Like you can't, I've been at a Trump rally where it was in a high school gym. And I mean, there was, there were thousands of people who didn't even get in. And the the press riser was like, I don't know, like 10 feet by 10 feet with like 60 people on it. It was insane. And it was just like, it was literally like in a little like pretzel on the floor in front of like CNN's camera because you can't really move around or anything. There's just no opportunity, no access to. So, you know, trying to make creative images from that is a huge challenge. Um, But it's also kind of like, it's a, you know, it's a fun challenge. It's like, okay, like I'm going to have to like force myself to look at things differently because I have no other choice, (laughs) you know? Um, But then there's some people like, I just, photographed Bernie Sanders in Pittsburgh and I was allowed to like move around a lot, like kind of, you know, get a little bit creative and it was outside. And then, Mm. you know, um, Biden, I photographed his announcement also in Pittsburgh. Um, and it it was, I can move around a little bit, but it was like inside of a dark union hall. So you really have to like learn to just kind of get creative and like, look at the periphery. Like I'm always like, I'll get my safe shot of a candidate, you know, okay nice foot of him talking or her talking at the podium. Um, but like, I really, really try to spend a lot more time, like looking at the crowd and um, my, my editor. At the, yeah, exactly. My editor at the New York times, Tanner Curtis, he, he's always like encouraging me to like get the safe shot, but also really explore and like get kind of weird with it. And, you know, like look at, what the, how is the crowd reacting? What does the crowd look like? What, is, what can the crowd tell me about the candidate? Um, you know, because every candidate might get a different looking crowd. So I, I really like doing that now just because it, you know, we've all seen a talking headshot, you yeah. know, at the, at the podium, like I'm more interested in seeing what the rest of the room looks like. So um, that's sort of like how I've been trying to approach it. Um, but yeah, I mean, like living in this area, it's just like it, you just see everyone, which is kind of cool. And I was actually just in Iowa for the New York Times nice. weeks ago, and um, it just it, that was so funny to see how how like if someone said you can't swing a dead cat without hitting a presidential candidate in Iowa, which is like a weird <laughs> phrase, but it's so true. Like they all they all just are able to shop around and like see all these candidates like up close and it was just like it was just so bizarre and fun but i just i don't know i really enjoy the challenge of shooting politics because it's not no one's trying to make your life easy with it but it's always like trying to make your life very difficult and like being you know hugged up with like it's a lot of competition there's a lot of photographers there everyone's trying to get their photo published and you know like you said you you covered joe biden i think bernie for the new york times um, when you're shooting like those things, do, do the editors kind of give you a lot of direction on what they want or they kind of this kind of 
let you do your thing or how do they usually let you kind of approach it, I guess? Yeah. I mean, it kind of depends who you're working for, but like, you know, I think I've been working with the New York times a lot on this. And like I said, my, my editor Tanner is always like, okay, you know, get the safe shot of the candidate or whatever, but he really wants to like Mm -hmm. know the flavor, (laughs) which is like, you know, like what, what else is like, what's the atmosphere? Um, And I I just, I really, I really enjoy that. It just, it's like such a challenge sometimes. And sometimes I'm like, Oh my God, I can't, I'm not getting like anything. Like I, I can't move around, blah, 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 blah. But, you know, I, I always think, like, getting there early and staying late and, you know, talking to people outside before the event, during the event, like, looking at the crowd, seeing how people are reacting, um, you know, afterwards, seeing what's going on, uh, how are people listening, are they bored, are they intrigued, you know, you can tell so much about, you know, a, a candidate just by looking at, at their supporters or mm-hmm. whatnot. So, um, so, yeah, I mean, it's, long story short, I, I really do try to like just sort of scan the room more yeah. than I'm like paying attention to the candidate. Like I'll go into the buffer zone, which is like right, you know, like a put between the crowd and the candidate. And I mean, I was, I was photographing in there the other day and I was like focused on the crowd and like another photographer like hit me on the, you know, like tap my shoulder. was like, Oh, he's coming. He's coming. He can't, it's coming. I'm like, I'm like, yeah, but like, I'd honestly rather see how the crowd is reacting to them coming on stage than the, the candidate i mean i just it's it's a boring shot to me i mean the smiling smiling politician waving (laughs) it's like the same right right so yeah i mean it's just it's been it's i never intended to be like a political photographer and i I don't think i I am necessarily but like i really do enjoy the challenge of it because yeah i mean it can be a huge pain in the ass but like it it's also just like fun to to push yourself to see something that like it's inherently not very visual you know in a visual way and it it, it looks it's a circus you know and and our our, the election coming up next year 2020 is going to be a big one and you know one thing i was kind of curious about like being a photojournalist like i know you don't obviously like you say you don't just cover politics but it looks like you're covering a lot of it these days um do you feel like as a photojournalist do you stay neutral like obviously you have your own political views on things um, do you do you try to stay neutral? Do you cover each candidate the same, or what's your kind of take on it? You think? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, I I've gotten I've been at photo shoots too before with people on both sides, and um, they'll say, you know, just just don't make me look bad. Yeah. Um, you know, and a lot of people who are more conservative say that too. If I'm working for a more like liberal leaning publication or whatnot. So just say like, you know, I, I, I'm just, please just don't make me look bad. I'm always like, trust me. Like I, th- my goal is to make everyone look like their most genuine themselves. Like I would never, it's never my intention to make someone look bad if I don't agree with their politics mm-hmm. or whatnot. Or if I do agree with their politics, make them look like a hero. Like I'm just trying to get the most authentic picture from, from any different situation or, or portrait. So yeah. it's like, I, I think it's, you know, and some people really, like, I had someone ask me at a at a rally once, like, they were like, well, so if you don't agree with, like, the candidate's politics, like, do you just, like, turn in a bunch of photos that make them look, like, terrible and, like, stupid? And I was like, absolutely not. Like, yeah. that is, I mean, as a journalist, you were, like, there to show what it looks like and, and, and be neutral on the topic, period. Mm. You know, I'm not trying to put my own political beliefs on any photo I take. Mm. So, um you know, I just think it's like good to educate people and like any good journalist would say the same thing. So, yeah. um, 
And I mean, it's not to say you can get like some quirky photos or anything, but like, I'm not trying to make anyone look bad. Period. Yeah, yeah. Like that's like, I, I really hate photography that makes people look like stupid or, you know, like, you know, they, they decide to pose for you and then they, you make them look like dumb or, or kind of like, like lighted a know, certain like, way. Very yeah, yeah. yeah. I just, I'm not a fan of that, but that's just me. So, yeah. And what's, what's your, what's, I know, I don't know how, I know looking at your site, you photographed some Trump, Trump uh, rallies or um, events or whatever. What's your experience been? Cause obviously he's been uh, outspoken about the media. He's constantly this like bashing the media, um, his, his, uh, his supporters, they kind of get on it on the media too. They're always just bashing them. What's your experience going to one of these events? Like have people been like rude to you? Like what's kind of been your experience covering? and uh, the Trump events, I guess. Yeah, no, I mean, <clears throat> it's funny. It's like, it almost feels like professional wrestling sometimes. <laughs> like, you know, like that group mentality of, you know, they can all yell like CNN sucks and like, you know, blah, blah, blah. You know, like, it's just, it's almost like a, it's like a, a group mentality. I don't know how, how else to describe it because like they'll kind of like boo the media and bash them and, you know, Trump likes to do that too. But like, Nine times out of ten, if, if I talk to someone like before or after, and like, hey, can I get your picture? They're like, yeah, of course. Like, and they're like super nice and like want to talk to me, and or you know, it's just I, at the end of the day, we're all people, mm-hmm. and like one on one, like it, they're not going to like spit my face because I work for a certain publication or I'm, I'm part of the media, you know. Yeah. Um. There, there are a couple occasions of of, of people who do look a little scary and <laughs> really have taken it to heart and i mean honestly like i was at a, a trump rally in west virginia last year and there was like a, jim acosta um oh, was yeah. was behind me and there was like this guy who had like like just like his eyes just turned like black and he was just like i thought he was gonna like jump the the media pen and like Jeez. that is a little scary that is scary i i i really you know i think that journalism in general we're not trying to make anyone look bad or mm-hmm. anything like that and and so the fact that you know there is this sort of like inherent bad bias against the media it, it can be it can be a little freaky i mean no, like it's, after it's, that, I was like, it, it's weird times it's weird times I, I i respect anybody out there on the front line now doing journalism because it is I've, I've never seen anything like it before but i was definitely interested in kind of hearing that uh yeah. yeah, it's a weird, weird phenomenon. Because, like, I would say 99% of the time, they're, like, one-on-one, very nice and, like, respectful. But it's just, like, sort of this group mentality. And then there are a couple people who just, like, do take it to heart. And it it does scare me a little bit. Yeah, those so, are the people you, you take a couple steps back, Maddie. Just take a couple steps back. Yeah, I know. Like, <laughs> Put, put, yeah. put on the 70 to 200. You don't need to get it. <laughs> yeah. uh, put the telephoto lens on. Get back. Yeah, totally. Uh, no, totally. It, no. It, it's just, I know mean, you have to be really cognizant. I mean, in general, as a photojournalist, I think it's just really good to have situational awareness yeah, for, and, for sure. and listen to the red flags because it can be dangerous. I mean, it really can be. And, you know, my friend um, Vic, Victor Blue and I, he's, he's like a conflict photographer. He works in the Middle East a lot, but we, we run a workshop about safety in the field um, because it's at least partly about safety in the field because it is like, you're putting a lot of trust in the people you don't know Mm -hmm. and, you know, constantly going into situations that aren't necessarily the safest. And, 
you know, I just think it's really important for people to, to listen to those red flags, listen to your gut. If you feel unsafe, like that's, you should definitely listen to that. And the picture is never worth your life. You know what I mean? Mm So, um, you know, especially after situations like, you know, Kim Wall's murder, um, you know, like in, in it, this is, this applies to men and women, but I feel like women, photojournalists do are, are maybe targeted a little bit more. And so just being, just being really cognizant and careful, um, it's important. So we, we like to, you know, we have this workshop, we talk a lot about that because, mm. um, you know, it's just, everyone wants, I, I, no one, I, I mean, you kind of think after doing this for a while that you're invincible and you're just not. No. So, um, yeah. Like, so like, just, like you I said, I th- like you said, I think 99% of the time people are good people. And it's with social yeah. social media is weird because people don't talk like the, in real life how they talk on social media. Like when you look at especially like political stuff and people get really like like they are rude and really bad on social media. But in real life, most people don't talk like that. It's just kind of interesting how social media is and how it is these days. You right. Know? Yeah. I mean, you can hide behind a screen and, and sort of say whatever you want. But like, I don't think that. 99% of people would say that to someone's face necessarily. Mm-hmm. So it is kind of funny how that all works. Like they always say too, just like, don't read the comments. Like that's just going to make you feel <laughs> really sad about humanity. But, yeah. um, yeah. but yeah, I mean, I don't know. No, it's interesting. And you know, one shoot I was interested in talking to you about, you photograph, uh, auto warm beers, parents, the, uh, the, 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 uh, what was, it? I forget what was Otto Wombier. He's from the U.S. and he went to North Korea. Yeah. I forget, was he like a, yeah. was he a journalist or was he just like a student? I forget what he was doing in North Korea. Yeah. He, he, he was just a student. He was, um, I, I believe he was, he was studying abroad in, in China, I think in, in, you know, North Korea still had the, um, program where you could visit just mm-hmm. like a, like vacation, I guess, kind of thing. Um, and, so yeah, he went there and um, he he tore down a like a propaganda poster. That's, yep. that's basically it. That's the only accusation. And they caught him and put him on trial and sentenced him to like 15 years hard labor. And and then no one heard from him. Mm-hmm. And his parents live in Cincinnati. And um, when I went down to photograph them, like it had been I think almost a year and a half, and they had no idea what was happening like with him just no idea and and i think the government officials were sort of like don't mess with it like we're working on it but like don't make a big deal and i think eventually they're like screw this like we're talking to the media because like we need to get this like mm-hmm. we haven't heard from our son we have no idea how he's doing and so photographing them oh it was just they were the nicest people in the world and you know, I, I helped them sort of like get together some pictures of, of Otto that they were going to put on to the news, um, you know, like Fox News, CNN, that kind of thing when they did their um, tour of the, of the news channels. And, and they just they had no idea what, where he was after a year and a half. And like that, I just can't imagine as a parent how that feels. And it, you know, it's kind of ironic because like I had actually photographed someone else from Ohio that was captured in North Korea for, for planting a Bible in a nightclub. Wow. I photographed him twice, Jeffrey Fowler. And he, his worst 
thing was just like they kept him in a in a like kind of isolated like in a guest house isolated mm. for like six months so the worst that happened to him is he was bored yeah and he came, he got returned and you know Otto came back and he was like practically brain dead yeah I think they, he, he, died, he died, like, died shortly after right he died like three days later and I just I can't even imagine what that family went through and how devastating that was after all of that to, to you know, not knowing if he was okay, if he was just bored, like, you know, Jeffrey, or if, if you, you know, what, what happened. And yeah. so it was, it was really devastating. Honestly, I was, I was pretty torn up about it. Yeah. It's pretty tense. Like does covering all these things, like, does it ever take a toll on your like personal, like mind? Like obviously like covering a story like that, or like the brothers who got the muscle, I think it was muscular dystrophy, the disease. Yeah. Does like a lot, yeah. of, a lot of the stories you cover, like pretty tense stuff. Does it, do you ever need to like yeah. take a break or like, how do you, how do you, how do you stay <laughs> sane, Maddie? <laughs> I don't know. I guess I don't. <laughs> I think you have to be a little like batshit crazy to do this job. <laughs> I mean, no, it's just, yeah, it definitely does. I mean, I, I get like really attached to people. I photograph even for like a short amount of time. And so, yeah, it like breaks my heart when it has bad outcome. I mean, I, there's multiple stories. I mean, like I said, like so many of the times I'm photographing people, it's like at their lowest moment. Um, there's another case of, I photographed this little boy who had like, uh, cancer for the New York times recently. And, um, he, it was like in uh, September and they found out he wasn't going to live till Christmas. So they decided to throw him in early Christmas. Um, you know, and, and like the whole town like decorated their houses and everything. And I spent like just an afternoon with the family and like, uh, Brody, the little boy. And I mean, I, when I, like, when I found out I was getting that assignment, like, I cried the entire way down, and, yeah. and, like, and then I was, when I left, like, I, you know, held together, and, like, you know, the mom and I just, like, hugged for, like, a minute, because she just, I mean, she just, obviously, she's trying to hold her family together, she's trying to kind of, like, show her son that it's, like, Christmas time, even though it's not, but he doesn't really know the difference, mm-hmm. and, like, you know, at the end of the day, she put him to bed, and she was just, like, yep. a mess, and, I was a mess. <laughs> yeah, it's you tough. know, I just like cr- cried the entire way home too. And then, you know, yeah. he passed away a few weeks later and it was just, it's, it's devastating. But I mean, it's only, I'm only like yeah. capturing it. Fra- I can't imagine how these people actually feel. Like I'm just in, in and out in a day, but I mean, it's just, yeah. I mean, like collecting all these sort of stories and, and these, talking to all these people, like it definitely has a toll on you. Mm-hmm. I mean, for sure. I, I don't know how it couldn't, um, yeah. You know, there's some really devastating, devastating stories. And so I just think it's important to have like a little bit of a, like a, a life outside of photography. Um, like it can't be 100% consuming because you'll just burn out. I mean, it's, it's hard to it, it, take in all these like stories all the time. Um, I mean, I, I feel like so honored to do it and like people trust me enough to like come in at some of their weakest moments. But, but yeah, I think it's really important to, to do some do stuff for yourself too like whether that's like go on a run or like hang out with friends or go on a hike or 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 see a therapist or anything like that you know like i think that's just it's so important to take care of of yourself too you know it's definitely yeah for sure and with like uh you know photojournalism these days like a lot of newspapers going out of business um everything's kind of going to digital like 
where do you kind of see the future of photojournalism? Because like, as as someone myself, like I freelance for the Wall Street Journal sometimes, and I know how much they pay. Uh, is like, where do you kind of see things going in the future? Like, because it, it is a tough career. Like I freelance myself, so it's a constant like. Some months are busy, some months are slow. Uh, I know looking at your work, you do some multimedia stuff as well. Um, where do you kind of see the future going? Do you think uh, newspapers are going to be able to evolve and keep doing more digital stuff, or what do you think? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a million-dollar question, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I I don't know. I really don't know. And it, it does scare me sometimes because like I really love what I do and I don't want to stop you know because of like shrinking budgets and everything but I I mean I I just I really hope that people can figure it out because I think photojournalism and and photographs are like so crucial to society in general like I don't think they're going they're going to go away like I mean maybe that's optimism in me but like I I think we need them as a society um so I just hope that these publications can figure out how to keep people interested in paying for it. Um, I mean, I really, I don't know the answer to that, but I'm just like hoping for <laughs> the sake of like a democracy and like humanity that like people it's, don't give up on journalism. No, definitely. It's really yeah. important. It is a tough, it's a tough thing. Like, uh, especially at photojournalism, it's not like, like, commercial photography pays a lot like is like would you ever shoot like uh was that anything you ever would get into like commercial stuff or is this strictly you want to stick yeah. to, to, the, to the magazine no, stuff think, sure yeah i mean i think it's important to like if you're going to be an independent photographer to like sort of diversify your clients mm-hmm. so i do sometimes take on like different work that like i, I won't necessarily share but yeah. like might pay my rent for a few months yeah, for sure. you know, yeah, like right. a day <laughs> yeah I mean I think that's like I think that's really important like because you know I, I still sort of think if you're if you're making money with photography and like that can like cover the the bills for a while and like yeah. fun stories you want to work on for oh, yeah. by all means do keep, it keep, I mean I think that's like smart Keep the train rolling. That's how I view it. Anyway, anyway, yeah. keep it moving. Just keep it moving. <laughs> totally. I think that like I don't really know. There's if there's many photographers out there freelancing who don't take on those kinds of jobs because they're just like so crucial. I mean, you can only get so far on like a few mm-hmm. hundred bucks a day um, if you're only working a few times a week or so. You know, like yeah, yeah like you you have to supplement it with other other stuff. And and you know, like you said earlier, there's freelancing there's there's moments or months or weeks or whatever that are going to be slower and some are going to be like completely slammed i mean a lot of times in the winter months i'll be they'll go like a week and a half without a shoot and i'm like oh my god like my career is over and then then you gotta wait 60 days to get paid (laughs) it's like it's yeah totally totally (laughs) and then there's like times in like the summer like fall or whatever around election season where i'm like literally in like 14 cities in yeah. a week, you know, trying to like save, save, manage, save, like, two save. Shoots a day. <laughs> right. Right. So, and I, you know, I tell people this a lot too, like freelancing is not for everyone. Like if you want structure in your life yep. at all, like, or any kind of like normal, like routine, this isn't really it for you because like, there's so, so many shoots are like incredibly last minute. Like, can you get in the car tomorrow or, or hop on a plane tomorrow and like figure all this stuff out and, Yep. A lot of people like 
I love that to an, ex- to an extent, <laughs> but like a lot of people, you know, really need a little bit more structure. So it's, it's definitely not for everyone, but mm-hmm. I, I think it's pretty thrilling right now. I nah, mean, it's great. It's, I don't know. It's exciting. It's good yeah. stuff. Uh, and you know, for one sure. thing I was kind of interested in, like being a photojournalist, um, like how much like editing will you do to your photos? Cause I think like traditionally most photojournalists, like you can basically crop and I think can you even do dodge and burn or how do you approach like the editing process of the photos you shoot, I guess? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> cold. um no yeah, like it's, it's pretty much bare minimum to be honest. Mm-hmm. I mean, I will like adjust the brightness contrast a little bit, like dodge and burn a little, Yeah. maybe bump saturation tiny bit but like that's pretty much it i mean you really can't go further like ethically than that and i mean some people like you can still be like photojournalist and have like a distinct style like a lot of people do like black and white or like have flash or whatnot and Mm -hmm. it it makes an image look different but i mean by no means can like photoshop out something in the background or whatever like that's definitely against the rules (laughs) um so that's just good to to keep in keep in mind um it's pretty much just like authentically what's what's in front of you um i might make things look a little bit more like contrasty order for like instagram but um yeah i mean when i'm like delivering images it's i'm trying to make it look as close to the human eye what human eye is seeing as possible you know i just think it's important to like be pretty authentic about that yeah, that's like the interesting thing about photojournalists is like, like you said, you can't really do too much editing. So I'm always amazed how like people can create their own like visual like style, like how they approach subjects and stuff. Because like, like people still do have their own voice. Like, how do you kind of, how do you kind of create your aesthetic? I guess because like obviously, like you said, you can't do a ton of editing to it. But like, how do you approach it? Is it is like your aesthetic, your kind of photographic voice, something you like think about, like having like a consistency yeah. to it. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I mean, I think it's really important as like any photographer that someone can like look at your image and be like, oh, that person shot that picture. I mean, it's hard to find that too. And like, I don't even know if I'm like there yet, but I think it's important to be like, you you sort of know what you're getting when you hire that person. Mm. Um, You know, I I, sometimes looking at portfolios and stuff, like when people are kind of all over the place, I'm like, well, that's fine. But like, I just don't know if an editor is going to know what they're going to get if they hire you for that shoot. So yeah, I mean, and it's it's a little bit harder as a photojournalist to, to develop that style mm-hmm. um, because you can't, like, add a ton of, like, post-processing to it. Mm-hmm. But, um, but yeah, I mean, I think that's, like, that can be evident in, like, how you approach subjects or how you approach just seeing a scene. And, like, you know, if, every, if, if I see, like, 30 photographers in one shooting their lens in one direction, like, maybe I'll look the other way, you know, just, like, just to shoot a little bit differently because it's like it is it is a tough thing to like stand out from the crowd um when it's like photojournalism but um yeah it's like i i try to just like i don't know i just really like to make beautiful photos like i like like pretty photos i like people looking good in them and just like i don't know just it's the way you look at light it's the way you know maybe like aperture you're shooting on there's other ways to, to kind of differentiate yourself. Um, and then like, you know, opposite, like I like sort of like the soft light and like open aperture sort of thing. But, you know, there's people too that are like, just at like harsh contrast and like shooting at like F22, everything. And I think that looks super cool too. It's not my style, but I think it's really neat. Yeah. So I think it's like, 
you know, you can really, there's so much you can play with even as a photojournalist to like make it look like a Maddie McGarvey photo or fill in the blank photo, you know, and mm-hmm. it takes time to realize like what you like. And mm-hmm. um, I don't know, I'm like sort of obsessed with the Ira Glass quote about like the gap about how, you know, when you're young and, and sort of creative and you're um, looking at all these other people and they're doing this amazing work and, and you want to do that and you got into the game because you have good taste, but everything you create is garbage yeah. and, you know, only takes making like a massive amount of work to, to find your voice and close that gap to get better. I mean, I'm butchering this quote, but you know, you get the <laughs> idea get of like, it's hard, you know, like you just have to, you just have to work at it for a long time. Like you have to like just practice, like mm-hmm. consistently shoot. You're going to make a lot of garbage. Like I have so many photos where I'm like, Oh my God, I'm embarrassed to even like have this on my <laughs> archive, but like it's there and it helped me grow. And like, you know, I, every shoot I take on, I'm hoping to like evolve my style and like yeah. find out more of what my personal voice is as a yeah, photographer. I think so. that I think that's the thing. Like I realized because it's something I struggle with for years as a photographer, and I think a lot of times you can get like fixated on like lighting or like some technique. But at least for me, maybe I'm wrong. The thing I kind of feel like is like a lot of times your style can end up being what you're interested what what your subject matter is what you like photographing and i think that's what kind of comes through like in photographers like uh like one guy comes to mind brian fink who's a great photographer shoots for like nat geo and stuff and he likes shooting like barbecue and like things like that and his his style almost becomes a part of like his interest and whatever subject matter he's shooting you know it's not always it's not always just like it's not always just like a technique or something Oh, for sure. Yeah. I mean, like finding your like niche is like also a great way to do it. I mean, you know, like Jimmy Chin or whatever and like extreme sports or, you know, whatever. I mean, it's just that really can set you apart too. I think as photographers, like finding those like niche topics and just like owning the shit out of it and Mm -hmm. just like shooting it in every different way. And, like, the beauty of that is, like, so much of that you can just do in your own backyard. Like, people feel like they need to travel all the time. Yeah. And I'm such a huge proponent of, like, there's a billion stories in everyone's backyard. 100. And yeah. especially when you're starting out, like, just do something that's, like, close by that you can, like, drive there after work or after class or whatnot and, like, just photograph over and over and over again. Yeah. It's, like, the, you're practicing, you're getting better, you're, like working on stories in your community it's like all good stuff and so, like you said you're, I mean, you're more connected to like whatever you live by like i i, I say that a million times like photograph your local 7-eleven or something like there's there's endless yeah. there's endless stories just within that like it doesn't you don't have to fly to like europe or some like crazy place to make great work at all you could literally walk in your backyard <laughs> totally like i think that's so so crucial i mean i just I think it's fine to travel too, and like by all means, oh, go yeah, for it. But like, definitely. especially when you're starting out, like, Keep it you know, don't feel like you have to like fly to Iraq to get an amazing photo. Like, you can like photograph anything within 30 minutes of your backyard. I think that was honestly even like a one of my assignments in college was like you couldn't go further than like 30 minutes. Like, mm. you had to find a story within 30 minutes. And I think that's like kind of a good place to start for a lot of people because it can be really complicated and confusing and like, mm-hmm. where do I even start? It's like, just keep it simple. Yeah. Like grab a 50 millimeter something. lens and just walk down the street. <laughs> totally. For sure. Like photos are everywhere. And like, yeah, you're going to take a lot of bad ones too, but it's only through the bad ones that they're going to get better. And you're going to figure out like what you like to photograph and like what makes you 
interested because I think it's so apparent if you care about your subject matters or not, like as soon as you look at a photograph. Mm -hmm. So like find something you care about and that like really makes you excited and that you want to tell their story because it's so obvious when you don't care. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. And, uh, you know, I saw you you photographed uh, for National Geographic I, I, uh, I think it was a story on coal. Uh, how is your how is your experience working with National Geographic? Was that like a goal of yours to work for them for years, or how'd that kind of project come about for you? Such like a histo- yeah, historic sure. public, publication. Well, yeah, I mean, like it's I think it's every photojournalist dream to like work for them one day, and I was just like so honored to have the opportunity to do it, and especially about like a topic that is sort of near dear to my heart. I mean, like just living in Ohio and I mean, it's cold. It's a huge thing. And I actually went down to Tennessee for this, this particular story, but um, yeah, I mean, it was, it was just a really incredible opportunity. And um, I just, I felt like the more I researched the project, cause I, I really didn't know much about it. They, they kind of cold called me about it. And um, you know, I, I talked to the writer and then I talked to some of these people affected by it. And it was just like, so heartbreaking and I was like just so honored to work on it I mean it was a story about like there was a um a giant coal ash spill 10 years ago um in in Kingston Tennessee a dike broke and dumped um I mean millions of you know gallons of this coal ash all over um the area and it it didn't kill anyone initially um but it was a huge huge mess and so they had all these cleanup workers um who who you know live in the area and and were like there that night it happened like right before christmas in 2008 Mm. and they were just like lining up to help clean it up and um and the company that hired um them said this this stuff is like you could eat a pound of it a day it's not going to hurt you and you know people started getting a little bit like sick and worried and they you know started asking for face masks to protect themselves and the few that did ask for face masks were fired because like they didn't wow. want the public perception of being like um you know they didn't want people to see the workers in like hazmat suits and the public be like oh my god are we in danger yeah and so it took them 10 years to clean it up and since then 36 of them have died Jeez. and hundreds of other ones are deathly ill and you know, it was just, it was just, it's such a tragedy. I mean, that could have all been prevented and it was this like sort of PR thing to not make anyone else in the town, whatever. So like I was, you know, photographing all these men um, with like painful sores all over their bodies and having to get, you know, these like blood transfusions every week and skin cancer and, you know, all other kinds of cancer, brain cancer, um, and it's just like, it was just so crazy to me that this like was allowed to happen. And I think that's like, like one of the parts about, you know, being a photojournalist is like, I just think it's special to be able to like sort of bring to light like huge injustices like that. Mm-hmm. And they were all so thankful and so willing to be a part of it because they're just so happy someone's listening to them yeah. because they've just been like screaming. And there's been amazing local journalism about this, but like I hadn't personally heard about it. Um, and so I just felt really honored to meet all these men and women who were affected by it. And I was there for the 10 year anniversary and they had an event and everything. And um, I just like, I just kept talking to people and saying like, Hey, who else, you know, who'd be, who'd be good and willing to get their portrait taken. And mm-hmm. so I think in the end I photographed, I was only there for like two, three and a half, four days. Mm-hmm. Um, 
so it was like right it was like right i like drove home on christmas eve um yeah. and um but it was just yeah i mean telling those kinds of stories is like why and then you know getting emails from the leader of the workers being like thank you yeah. so much for being there and getting caring. the word out and, and, yeah yeah because like, that means so much to me is that as a photojournalist does that get frustrating sometimes because when you look at the news a lot of the headline news is like it'll be like kind of bullshit stories that this kind of take their own life because whatever i don't know they just kind of go viral and things but like stories like these a lot of times they won't be on the headline they'll be like on the bottom page or something can that be frust- yeah. frustrating sometimes as a photojournalist because you want people to hear about these things but then you end up just hearing about like this nonsense bullshit pretty much <laughs> i mean yeah i mean I, and i personally just get like very like i said it's more like very attached to people i'm photographing so i'm like of course they deserve like front page everything you know but yeah i mean it can be frustrating and it's just it's sort of insane that there's i mean there's a million stories just like theirs of these like mm-hmm. like just really unjust things and that's why journalism is, is so important because like without that like people just get away with that you know like people get away with poisoning workers and having no repercussions or yep. you know there's a million stories like that mm-hmm. you know um I've, wor- I've worked on other stories about people like big corporations pretty much poisoning water supplies and towns and yeah. i mean look what's happening in like flint michigan yeah, it's, it's you know, crazy like without interest and without people like dedicating the time to tell those stories like i mean not that it's perfect or fixed or anything but like i think that it all that stuff could just slide. Yeah. You know, people could just get away with it. So, I mean, it really is like sort of the watchdog of society. And I just think, I, I just can't stress how important I think, you know, this journalism is. But, yeah. Um, yeah, no, definitely. But, um, but I guess to kind of wrap up, like you've been doing this for a while, like what do you enjoy about it? And like kind of any goals for your work moving forward? Yeah. I mean, I just, I mean, the best part about my job is just being able to, like, meet all these, like, amazing, amazing people with the most incredible stories every day and getting paid to do it. I mean, it just feels like a dream, honestly. (laughs) It's not always easy, like we talked about. Like, you know, it can be a a big emotional toll to to sort of work on these sort of things all the time. Um, And it's not always easy. And obviously, like, freelancing is tough and it's like chasing down invoices and doing taxes and nightmare and all that (laughs) stuff but like at the end of the day I'm getting paid to like meet incredible people and tell their stories and I just like can't stress how honored I am to do that every day I just think it's like the most amazing job in the world Mm. and I just I feel like I'm so lucky to be able to do that um and yeah, moving forward, I just want to keep doing it. You know, I just like, I want to keep working on stories. I'm trying to be more cognizant of work I take on mm-hmm. now, just to like, you know, be, you invest a lot of time in everything you do. So I'm just really trying to invest more time in things I really want to work on. And I, I think as like a freelance photographer, you just like take on everything. So you're like, you never know when the next paycheck's coming. Yeah, but like, I'm really trying yeah. to be, yeah, like it's everyone hard, knows that feeling. Hard to right? say no. <laughs> Right. So hard to say no. And so I'm trying to be, be a little bit better about like saying no to things that are going to be time consuming and not necessarily um, what I want to be doing ultimately. And like working more on like pitching stories I want to work on and working on some stuff on my own and like getting back to the roots of like storytelling that I love doing. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I just want to keep doing that. And I mean, I don't know if I'll be in Ohio forever, but I'll definitely be here through the 2020 election. And, and I, I think it's, 
just fascinating to have like a front row seat to all of that too. Oh, <laughs> and yeah. Um, yeah, I just want to keep telling like social issues in this, you know, country in general and just like keep meeting these amazing people and working on these, these stories. I mean, I just feel like my life is definitely more enriched because of it. And I hope that other people are just like more aware of like the stories that are going on Most you know, in the Midwest and, and the country. I think, I think they so, are. And uh, I guess Maddie, I, I can't thank you enough. It was a real pleasure talking to you and uh, for people listening, where's the best place to check out your work? Yeah, for sure. Um, so I'm on Instagram at Maddie McGarvey. So you can check me out there. And then um, my website's MaddieMcGarvey.com. It's like, I haven't updated it in like 10 years. I needed to do that really badly. <laughs> but, well, updated. So more recent work is always on Instagram. So check me out there. All right, I'll perfect. I'll, I'll link it and people can go check it out. And thanks so much. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me on. It was a real pleasure. Thanks for listening to today's episode. I hope you enjoyed it. I actually want to tell you about a new image transfer tool I've been using lately called PicDrop. PicDrop's a really great tool for whenever you need to send off your files to your clients or whoever you're working with. You can create private galleries, different folders for whatever various assignments you're working on. And your clients can actually write notes on the photos you send to them and rate them. Um, for me, I've been using it for a few months now. And it's really just kind of helped me keep myself organized. I got all my files in one spot and you can communicate really easily with your clients. For years, I was using things like Dropbox and WeTransfer, but with PicDrop, it was actually designed by photographers, so they really understand what photographers need. And like I said, I can't say enough about it. And with today's episode, if you enter the promo code PHOTOBANTER, you're going to get three months free when you sign up at PicDrop.com. Um, so definitely go check it out and let me know what you guys think. And remember to enter the promo code PHOTOBANTER, and you'll get three months free And when you sign up at PicDrop.com. And also just had to give a big thank you to our guest, Maddie McGarvey. Um, really pleasure talking to her. I really enjoy her work. Um, I found it on Instagram. Um, definitely check her Instagram out, at Maddie McGarvey, as well as her website, MaddieMcGarvey.com. Uh, a lot of amazing work up there and different projects that she's been working on. Um, so I can't thank her enough for taking the time. And as always, I'll be having weekly podcasts every Monday on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, as well as on my website, alexgagnephoto.com, and on my Instagram, at alexgagnephoto. Thanks so much for listening, and take care.